0: Welcome to TNS, the new school at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a presentation and conversation with Dr. Erlene Chang and Michael Lerner as they discuss traditional Chinese medicine and cancer therapy. Welcome
1: to you all. We're going to get started. Um, My name is Michael Lerner. And I'm very honored and delighted to be here with my colleague Erlene Chang and with Master Liu, who uh, we are very honored is going to give us a Qigong presentation. So um, I will first say a little bit about myself, then I will uh, introduce Dr. Chang, Erlene, will give us a uh, 15 or 20 minute presentation on traditional Chinese medicine and Qigong in cancer and grief work. Uh, It's a very great honor for me to be here with Dr. Chang and Master Liu. Um, What I want to say for those of you who don't know Commonweal and don't know our work, um, Commonweal is a nonprofit center in Bolinas, California, just north of Stinson Beach on the coast. Uh, I started Commonweal 41 years ago. We have programs in health uh, and healing, education and the arts, and environment and justice. Uh, About a dozen different programs varying widely, um, from criminal justice and uh, environmental health to work with cancer and healing, education and the arts. Um, For the last 31 years, I have co-led retreats for people with cancer called the Commonweal Cancer Help Program. And we have a number of alumni of the Cancer Help Program here today. And I'm especially honored and grateful that Jackie Jones is here. She's one of our alumni. She started the East Bay Program, which continues to meet in her home. And she's also a uh, graduate of the uh, Wenwu School here, uh, the Wild Goose School. Uh, where And she's, in fact, wearing her Wu T-shirt today. So, uh, she is an extraordinary uh, survivor and about to have her 70th birthday. And uh, we honor your birthday and are so grateful you're here. So, um, we have many other alumni here I could, could uh, acknowledge, uh, but uh, Jackie will stand for all of them. The Commonwealth Cancer Help Program We've done 195 week-long retreats for people with cancer. These were filmed by Bill Moyers for his series Healing in the Mind, which was shown on PBS thousands of times across the country. Um, And in these week-long retreats, we take only eight people at a time, and these retreats are quite transformative. For years, the base for uh, the psychophysiological discipline for these retreats was yoga. Um, But I'm honored uh, that Erlene Chang will be joining us for the September retreat to teach Qigong in our retreat for the first time. So this is a major thing for us after 31 years to begin to uh, expand our uh, programs of psychophysiological discipline in our cancer retreats. Um, And I wanted to say that. Um, I also want to disclose Uh, that I am a patient of Dr. Chang. Uh, She has been treating me, I think, for the last two years or so. And I came to her as a 73-year-old man with benign essential tremor, my handshake, uh, failing hearing, um, and uh, memory challenges, um, and uh, assorted other ailments that go along with uh, being 73 years old. Uh, I've been engaged with integrative medicine for over 40 years, a student of integrative medicine. Um, and uh, Dr. Chang, erlene uh, is in my experience um, an extraordinarily gifted uh, practitioner uh, who brings great benefit to her patients and to her students. Uh, Dr. Chang is a... I'm going to sit down now so I get the specifics right here, she's been practicing for over three decades. She received her uh, BS and her DAOM, which I assume means doctorate in Asian and Oriental Medicine. something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, from um, the American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. Her MS in Oriental Medicine uh, advanced research from the American Global University. And she has been as an evidence of how... Uh, gifted she is in this area. She has been uh, an adjunct professor teaching traditional Chinese medicine oncology and immunology at the College of Traditional Chinese Medicine mm-hmm. uh, since 2011. Uh, she has her private practice here at the Hua Clinic uh, of Acupuncture and Chinese Herbal Medicine in El Cerrito. We're meeting here today where she specializes in the treatment of cancer and autoimmune disease and she's also the senior administrative director of the clinic's martial arts school, which I mentioned, the Wen Wu School, which means the Wild Goose School, which offers classes in Qigong, Tai Chi, and Shaolin Kung Fu. She is also, and importantly, medical director of the Fountain Project Foundation, which is a nonprofit offering services to underprivileged families in the East Bay. So it is an honor and a privilege uh, to be here with you, Dr. Erlene Chang.
2: Thank you, Michael. Yes. And thank you, everyone, for coming. It's my pleasure to be here with you. And thank you for having this opportunity to bring the lights of Commonwealth to our school here. We're very, very flattered. Thank you. Yes.
1: So would you like to introduce your mother? And yes. we will start with the Qigong presentation. Yes.
2: yes. Um, first, I'd like to introduce our grandmaster. Hui Liu. Grandmaster Hui Liu is, as Michael said, is my mother, Mm -hmm. and uh, she's been practicing qigong and tai chi since in her 20s. She found Dai and qigong to be the most essential and helpful to her own menopausal symptoms when she was going through um, 40, 50 years at age. And uh, she's also won the um, Grand Master of Qigong at the World Congress in Qigong in 2004. So um, go, this opportunity, I have to bring Master Hui Liu out to give us a demonstration and share a little bit about her experience in Qigong in the, this type of energy work that's about 1700 years old. And uh, what her experience is with Qigong, emotion, and cancer. So, Mm -hmm. without further delay, I'd like to introduce Master Hui Liu.
0: You're listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. Due to the mostly visual nature of Master Yu's Qigong demonstration, we will now resume our audio program following that demonstration. Thank you.
2: I will continue them.
1: Yes. yes. yes.
2: Did you know Master Hui Liu will be 86 years old in one month? <laughs> if she can do it at 86, you can do it too. So there shouldn't be any excuses for, I don't think I can do that, it's too complicated. We hear that all the time. So I always say, if she can do it at 86, she started when she was 40 years old, the Daiyan Qigong form. I think she's an inspirational figure to show us. Okay, so next, Michael, I'd like to continue with my presentation. I'd like to show you a short presentation about um, some of the um, information and uh, school academic stuff that I teach at American College. This is just one twentieth of what I usually teach. Some of them may be very technical, but I'm I'm sure your level is very high. You'll be able to understand and uh, just To let you know, you all have an index card. That index card is for you to write questions. So later at the end, Cura will come over and pick them up, okay? So I will sit closer to my presentation. Excuse me, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) This painting is done by my father. Uh Qi, balance and harmony. This is just a cancer fact and figure in California in 2017, about 176,000 new cancer cases will be found. About 3,500 years ago, in the Zhou dynasty, we have already have the word leo, which means tumor, cyst, or polyps. And then in 2000 years ago, the book of Zhou Li, started the treatment of tumors. Already. Okay. At that time, we didn't say about cancer, we talked about tumors, a co- coagulation of something as a t- form of tumor. In the internal classic Huang Di Neijing in the first century BC, it says, sickness qi attacks our body due to deficiency of zheng qi. So, what is zheng qi? What is deficiency of zheng qi? And then, in the internal classic, it says, things that make us go out of balance, our emotion, our own emotion, external pathogens, our diet, our whole environmental, and our lifestyle can bring imbalances. Some of the etiology, the cause of the disease, there's the internal causes and there's the external causes. Some of the pathogenesis. Number one, stagnation. What is stagnation? Do you feel stagnated sometimes? Right? That's not stagnation I'm talking about. There's a stagnation where you just don't feel good. And there's a stagnation where you feel, oh, my shoulder has a kink and I cannot move. That's also a stagnation. There's the phlegm where you sometimes you feel, <clears throat> when you clear your throat, Sinuses, drainages, mucuses, slim. Then there's toxin, and then it becomes deficient. Notice I have a double arrow between toxin and deficiency. When it becomes toxin, the body has already lost its ability in zheng qi in the recovery. So the body becomes more and more deficient. Okay. This is a, a very technical chart that I teach my doctoral students at ACTCM. The pathogenesis we talked about stagnation earlier. Stagnation—it's a very early symptoms. Very early symptoms. You know how the body cell changes 24/7; it never stops. Our billions and billions of cells changes. It just change. Even when you're sleeping, your nails are growing, your hairs are growing or falling off. Your body is changing. So at a very early stage, very early stage, you feel there's, you just don't feel right, the stagnation feeling, okay? And then that's the early symptoms. After the early symptoms, you gradually, gradually, when the cell doesn't exchange information with each other anymore, okay? The metabolic rate slows down. Then we'll have benign cysts, tumors, or even polyps, okay? That's when at the early stage, when you have your colonoscopy, when you have your mammogram, that's when you will, they will find these the benign things. And then you'll turn into another double arrow into phlegm, mucuses, also known as dampness and wetness, okay? It's another early symptom. It will also cause benign cyst tumors and polyps. And then at that stage, so from stagnation, things don't move anymore. Doesn't mean 100% doesn't move. It means maybe partially it doesn't move. And partially still moving because you do things like you eat healthy because I don't feel so good, so I'm gonna eat healthy for the next week. I'm gonna go on a fasting. So the stagnation removes. Or you go, you know, I gotta go get some exercise done. Down. I remember how well I felt when I used to do exercise. Then you remove the stagnation. Things that you do to help yourself to remove the stagnation. If the stagnation is not removed, then the metabolic rate slows down. Okay? For instance, you used to have a small sinus, now you have a sinus headache. That has gradually turned into a more severe headache. When you have um, bloating and gas, now it's becoming bloating and gas pain. Okay? On top of that, you also have other symptoms like you know, why am I having discharges that is not supposed to be there? I'm in menopause, where's this discharge coming from? When, you know, I've lived in this house for 10 years, I've never had any sinus, never had any mucus, all of a sudden there's phlegm, there's mucus coming out. So that's the second stage, okay? And third stage is if number one and number two are not corrected enough, or in time, then it becomes turning to toxic when it becomes toxic then that's when it becomes malignancy okay from benign tumorous to become malignant cancerous okay but from number 1 to number 2 even to number 3 takes about 5 to 10 years it's not tomorrow so you have time to correct that so if the toxin is not taking out and the stagnation is not removed and phlegm is not removed guess what the toxin becomes worse. From one tumor, you will have two, will go to the adjacent lymphatic fluid, and then you gradually go into the Jing jingluo, into the meridians, then become metastasized. And then the zheng Qi, your own zhengqi, keep on fighting to bring back the balance, to remove the phlegm, to remove the stagnation. Guess what? That's when you feel, I feel so fatigued. You know, because your body is constantly working 24-7, trying to remove the stagnation and phlegm. Whereas when you were in stage one or two, you only had to do, because you exercise where you start taking care of yourself, then you was reversible. So when it becomes number three, it's even number four, then a lot of time may not be reversible. But we, I've seen stage three and stage four, where we use integrative medicine, or just use diet chain completely removed, completely from number four to number one to stage zero. I've seen that. Okay, so number one, stagnation. Stagnation will turn into two kinds, Qi stagnation. Qi is a vital life force. It. It's a vibration when you feel. It's not like when you have hit your funny elbow, that tingling feeling. It's a soft, gentle, that tingling feeling, you go, what is that? How do I, why do I feel that? That's the qi sensation. So when it becomes stagnated, you will have qi yu, yu yu is the Chinese medical term. Why do I put the Chinese medical term on there? So you can Google it yourself. What is qi yu in TCM? Those are some of the technical words that you can literally look up. These are the old traditional Chinese medicine, qi yu. And then if qi is invisible, you cannot see your air, your own breath. You really cannot see. People with great training and deep long training can see the air, can see different qi, different aura that permeates all of the body. But most of us cannot see that. So when qi yu is when it's not stabilized yet, you will have pain, like for instance, here and tomorrow you will go to here, you will move from location to location. It's not one stabilized location. When it's at the yu places, when it's at the yu places, most CT scans cannot find, or blood work will not be able to find what that pain is. So that is good. You're at the very, very early stagnation. But if this stagnation is not corrected, you're going to the blood. In Chinese medicine, in Qigong, we say qi is the leader of blood. This is a very important term. Blood is the mother of energy, of qi. So if qi is the leader of blood, qi leads the blood. The vibration pushes the blood. That's the life force. That's the energy. Okay. If the qi continues to stagnate, then later the blood becomes stagnant blood can you see blood yes we can see blood right everybody can see blood and what happens when that blood stagnate coagulate becomes a cyst becomes a pimple becomes little spots on your face becomes coagulated that's something you can see and at that point ct scan mri x-ray blood work will show the stagnation okay so that's the next stage after qi stagnation to blood stagnation, xue yu. What happens causes the qi stagnation? When qi cannot rise, when it should rise. When you inhale, qi rise. When you exhale, you descend. But what happens when you have a tumor in your lung? When you inhale, you cough, you cannot rise, right? When you exhale, it doesn't go down, there's a stagnation. That's just an example. Qi cannot descend when you should descend. What does cannot descend mean? When you eat, food descend down to your stomach. Blood pressure descend, right? When you rise, blood pressure descend. That's what I mean by descending. So when Qi doesn't descend anymore, what happens? You go esophagus, esophageal problem, stomach problem. So qi, does not right. You always feel there's something with thyroid gland stuck in there. Okay? Qi cannot transform when it should transform. Now that's even more difficult to understand. Qi cannot transform. What's that mean? Qi cannot transform, help to transform food that you eat. The air, the oxygen that you inhale cannot transform into nutrient, into vitamin, into supplement. Therefore, then it doesn't transform into the nutrient, into the energy that you expected to do. For instance, Qigong, exercise. You go, I exercise an hour a day, but I'm still so tired, right? Have you ever heard people saying that, right? I slept 10 hours a day, but I wake up, I'm still tired. Yes, there may be some biological changes in the physical body already, But that's what I mean, it doesn't transform into rest. It doesn't transform into energy when it should have. That's the qi stagnation. Number two, I talked about one, two, three, four. Two, phlegm is caused from irregular transformation of qi in the fluid, okay? phlegm, mucus, have you ever thought where it come from? What it looks like? How is it formed? Is it really some decongestant will solve the problem? Or is it something else that your whole body doesn't transform that? So qi is caused from regular transport function of qi and the fluid, like the water you drink. I'm so dehydrated, but I drink eight cups already as recommended, but I'm still thirsty. I'm still so dehydrated. It doesn't transform the qi. Cause going to qi hua, qi transformation. The medical term is qi hua. So it doesn't transform into the fluid that your kidney, your lung, your skin, your hair should absorb. It cannot transform. There's the visible phlegm, Candida yeast infection, okay, where you can hear and see and see the discharges that are abnormal discharges. There's also the invisible phlegm. Invisible phlegms are like things you cannot see, like a tumor, a cyst that's already forming. That's more dangerous because you really can't see it until you become the blood stagnation where it actually forms, where it shows up on the skin. And then from that point on, if the phlegm is not taken care of, guess what? Sinus infection, right? When you have sinus congestion, gradually turn into a sinus infection. That's just one example. When you have some candidas and turn into a UTI, it turn into a yeast infection. It become inflammation, and inflammation turns into heat. Okay. From heat, then it turn into toxin. Okay. That's when body really become imbalanced. Toxin. There's the external causes. There's the internal causes. Think about if you can think about any external causes right now. Something are like viral, okay, cigarettes, bad oil, trans fat. We're using bad oil when you cook, pollution, your occupation, your environment, your food, and etc. Those are the external causes that you inhale or you ingest internally that cause that stagnation, okay. So, number four, from toxin, the body becomes more and more deficient, okay? Zeng qi becomes deficient, like the tree becomes welted. So if you look at one, two, three, four, stagnation, phlegm, toxin, and deficiency, in the world of oncology, we will say first is stagnation, like stage zero, stage one. Phlegm, stage zero, stage one then going to toxin when it goes to spreading to number two to number three or into number four stage that's when you become malignant and then the body become more and more deficient because your body spends so much energy trying to correct the imbalances okay zheng qi deficiency what is zheng qi okay zheng qi is like your immune system your immune system Have you ever thought about what is your immune system? Immune system is not just your white blood cell. It's not just your lymph nodes. It's your whole body. Every organ has its zhengqi, the lung, the stomach, the 12 internal organs in Chinese medicine. Everyone has its own immune system. The immune system comes from a well-being of all the zhangfu, all the organs. It's not just one system. If you've got lung cancer, you can't just treat the lung. You really have to treat the whole, the heart, adjacent joints, adjacent organs, and all the internal organs to see what is all of balance and how do you bring that back into the balance, okay? Fighting between the sickness and the righteous qi. That causes the zheng qi to be lower. A continuous breakdown of the healthy cells. So chemotherapy, radiation, they want you to break down all the cells. They want the new cells not to grow so the tumor will continue to shrink or continue to, to, to die. Okay. At the same time, you also damage your also damage your white good cells, your red, white blood cells, and all the internal organs, all the tissues start to break down. Then if your body becomes more and more deficient. In some of the diagnosis methods, the observation, we observe a person's shen qi. Again, I'm using the word qi, shen, means spirit. You, know, you can really tell someone if they have good spirit when you meet them, when they, you first walk in, and how their spirit changed throughout the whole conversation with you. Color, the complexion. Then in Chinese medicine, there are five different colors that we look. For instance, on the skin, on the face, on different parts of the body. If you pay attention carefully, you will be able to see the five different colors. Each color represents a different disease. Physical shape and size of the body. I had a lung cancer patient at stage four. He um, was a 68-year-old Chinese man, and I've treated him for two years. He wants chemo, chemo, chemo. I said, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Okay, so the tumor grows bigger and bigger in his right lung. He gradually walks in like this every time he comes in, literally walking like this. Because his tumor is so big, it's actually distorted his whole body shape. You know, I've had chiropractor, I've had acetylopaths come in, we also worked on him, but the tumor just got bigger and bigger. So that's the size of the tumor, it got bigger. It didn't get better, it got bigger, okay? So the whole body shape changed. Very interesting, you know. A lot of time I tell people, um, if, you know, you may think it's a simple hip pain or groin pain. I had one patient that I've known for 20 some years, the healthiest person that I've known. And then she complained about sciatica pain for the longest time. So finally, I said, she's my friend. I said, why don't you let me look at you? So I go, oh, it's your shoes. We correct the shoes. She said, good for two weeks. She didn't have any sciatic pain. She said, my pain is gone. Thank you. Then no good. I said, okay. Two weeks later, come back. Still no good. Then I start palpating. Now I treat her as a real patient. She lies down on my table and I start palpating. I go, oh, what is this? There was size like a golf ball in her right inguinal area. It was already her. Um, hardened lymph nodes it was already turning into cancer already yeah so it was already stage 3 at that time so it was that tumor that was pressing on the sciatica nerve and the inguin um, nerve in here that's causing her sciatica pain so that's why we look at the physical shape and the body
0: you're listening to a TNS conversation with Dr. Erlene Chang and Michael Lerner
2: skin Looking for swelling, rash, boil, tumor, skin cancer, or irregular hardening that you feel. But be careful, when you feel something hard, don't go, I got cancer. No, maybe not. Maybe it's still at that chi stagnation where it bulges out. It hasn't turned into a blood stagnation yet, okay? And uh, look at the color of the phlegm. If there's phlegm, for instance, if there's blood, okay, could there be lung cancer, okay? And look at the urine, look at the mucus, the discharge, look at the bowel movement, listen to um, what the the patient complains about the bowel movement, the smell of what the tumor smells like. It smells very foul smell. The whole room will smell like rotten meat when that does happen, when the cancer erupts from internally going outward, becomes like a volcano erupt, and it smells like, Raw meat and look at the tongue. Okay? The tongue and the pulse diagnosis are the most well known in traditional Chinese medicine. The tongue quality, feel free, you can take, copy this down or Google it. We look at on the tongue, on the back of the tongue, there's a kidney, bladder. In the middle of the tongue, there's a spleen, stomach, like in the middle. On the side of your tongue is the liver, gallbladder. In the tip is the lung and the heart. And there's the tongue. Quality will look for the redness, pale, and all different colors on the tongue. Okay, in the next couple of pictures, I'm going to show you a couple of of very extreme tongue coating. Okay, and I have permission from my patients to show these. Okay, this was the patient that I was telling you with a golf ball size lymph node cancer, stage three. This was at the very, very beginning when on your right, she was first diagnosed. And this is later towards the end. Look at the big and small, in, no longer skinny and thin. And then look at the crack. Look at how red that tongue is. Look at the changes from stage three to stage four. Okay. And unfortunately, her oncologist in hospital, they really screwed her up. I am sorry to say that, but I didn't wanna point that out. She's Already in a bad stage, but they really messed up her surgery. She went to have from one small surgery into four major surgeries because of complication. So this is what we look at. In the tongue coating, we look at if it's white color, yellow, gray, or black. Well, no coating. Like the previous one didn't have any coating, it was just red, right? So different color, different coating, different tongue bodies represent a different internal stagnation or phlegm or mucus at that time or has it turned into toxin we also listen to the patient's voices breathing talking cough vomiting sneezing and etc a lot of time we will hear that cough doesn't sound right you know it's not normal that you are vomiting you're not pregnant well why are you keep on vomiting and abnormal sneezing those are all something we look for okay Pulsation. First we talked about the tongue. If you've ever been to your acupuncturist, the traditional Chinese medicine uses tongue in the pulse diagnosis every time. We examination of the pulse. So on your left hand side, there's three different pulses here. Okay. Heart, liver, kidney. On the right hand side, we will place our hands on your radial pulse, lung, spleen, and kidney. We will also examine the tumor and cysts, so like what I did with that patient with the inguin and lymph node. Also, we asked about the patient's food intake, the intake that includes taste of in the mouth. Can you still smell the food, the quality of food, and the quantity of what you eat? Because we believe food is medicine. It's very important that we Work with the patient very closely on their nutrition. Importance of eating and drinking. We smell, like I said, the smell of the cancer. Okay, smell of the disease. We ask about, are you cold, hot? Where's the pain, sweating? Okay. These are just some of the other questions that we ask. For instance, any dizziness, neuropathy, chest stuffiness, palpitation, Palpation, appetite, bowel movement, abdominal distension. How's your emotion? How is your regular sleep? How's your diet and nutrition and your weight and your medical history? And we build a teamwork for them. And treatment plans with other medicine to make this a complete medicine system. And it's just some of the theory that we go over, we'll go over right now. Five elements, you've probably heard of that. Okay, yin and yang theory, the yin and yang sign, the zang fu organs, the internal 12 organs, the qi and the blood theory, the meridian and the channels. These are five major theories that we've been using since from two, 3,000 years ago to now. We still follow these very, very closely. So traditional Chinese medicine follows these theories in the tongue and the pulse. This is just some of the meridian and channels, okay? So when Master Liu was doing the Qigong, she talked about how, you know, the opening of the meridian, the yin meridian, the yang meridian. So these are some of the channels and meridian. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's still the same, okay? (laughs) And then I wanted to bring this out. This is also some of the meridian that we use. here is a picture of the lymph nodes, all the lymph nodes in the body. I found so interesting, so many collaboration that on top of each other, they lie right on the meridians. So from the, where the tumor is, where the cyst is, we look, first go, okay, on which meridian? And then we all go, okay, palpate along the meridian, if there's any lymph node involved. Very interesting, a lot of it is right on the meridians. Okay. So this is our last slide on treatments and methods, I think. Yeah. This is our last slide on treatment plans and methods. There's a lot of treatment plans and methods, Michael, that we use in Chinese medicine. So this ends my PowerPoint. I'm over time. Sorry. (laughs) Over time. That
1: was lovely. That
2: was lovely? (laughs) That was not too scary? No, no, it's
1: just perfect.
2: Nobody fell asleep yet? No, no. (laughs) So you just got a class from a doctoral program at American College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. This is part of the, I also teach at NCNM in Oregon, Portland, at the Naturopathic College. That's exactly what I teach, too. Yeah, so this is some of the very detailed, in-depth of works. That um, to be able to understand, you have to feel your own energy first. You have to understand where is energy, how you generate, how do you maintain. When the energy becomes stagnated, what is stagnation? Then you have to see ahead of patient what happened to it. If this is not treated.
1: You know?
2: So that's what I
1: teach. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So as you can see, we're entering a vast universe of... Um, of theory and practice um, uh, uh, thousands and thousands of years old, uh, recognized by the World Health Organization as Mm -hmm. one of the great traditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, As many of you know, um, there are other great traditions, Ayurvedic medicine, Mm -hmm. uh, many other Mm -hmm. great traditions in Europe, uh, naturopathic medicine, um, uh, so the great traditions of medicine that predate uh, Western science uh, uh, were based sometimes on principles and uh, belief systems that are quite different Mm -hmm. from uh, what Western medicine believes. While I was preparing for this uh, today, I just took a quick look at what Wikipedia says about traditional Chinese medicine right now. And it's fascinating, for those of you who know how Wikipedia works, sometimes there are kind of wars that go on between different points of view, and different points of view kind of try to edit each other out. So, who's ever at war in Wikipedia right now is very hostile to traditional Chinese medicine. And so there's this diatribe on Wikipedia about, you know, how uh, unproven traditional Chinese medicine is, and all the, you know, un, undocumented assumptions and so on. Then I went to my friend and colleague, Dr. Andrew Weil, who's great authority on, on integrative medicine. And, and Andy Weil, contrary to Wikipedia, says he has a deep faith in traditional Chinese medicine, particularly for chronic, complex chronic problems. Yes. And so the point is, the thing I want to most of us here are... are uh, inclined to believe in traditional Chinese medicine, but for those who will hear the podcast or see the video, I want to acknowledge that this is a controversial area from the point of view of mainstream medicine. So if you have a physician who is skeptical because he reads Wikipedia or whatever and, and, and hears that it's all, you know, it's all untrue, I, I want to acknowledge that's one point of view. But from my point of view, having studied integrative therapies for 40 years, I prefer to take a cultures of medicine approach. I I prefer to take a medical anthropology or sociology of medicine approach, which simply says, look, there are different points of view. And at the end of the day, you pay your money and you take your choice. And if you believe that Western medicine is all you want and need for treating your cancer, more power to you may you do well with it, Mm -hmm. may it work well for you. That said, from over 30 years of the Cancer Help Program, 195 retreats and well over a thousand participants, I can tell you that traditional Chinese medicine is one of the things that has proven most helpful empirically to our patients again and again as they deal with nausea and side effects of chemotherapy, of radiation and and so forth. To have uh, Dr. Arlene Chang with us, who's really a master of this, uh, gives you a sense of the complexity of the universe in which you do your work. Mm -hmm. So now I get to ask you some questions. You talked about about pulse diagnosis. Mm -hmm. How many pulses do you feel when you feel a pulse?
2: Six pulses on each side. Each organ has different pulse, about um, 17 different kind of qualities that we feel. Some are slippery, some are um, pungent, some are string, some are weak, some are knotted. It all represents a different diagnosis. And you have to see where your finger is lying on, on which organ, in order to diagnose what is wrong with that. Right.
1: So So six pulses on each side, but mm -hmm. many different qualities of each pulse. So is it a multiple of 12 total? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So what, what does that multiply out to in terms of the total number?
2: Well, when you multiply out to, and um, I will say, first of all, the practitioner has to be very calm and very intuitive to feel what they're feeling. You know, most people go, it's just a pulse. I don't feel anything. No, it takes your, mas- your master teacher will teach you how to feel that pulse. Then you go, oh. That's what it feels. So you can think about what's 12 times 17 pulse, that's whatever that amount that is, right? But it's really the significance is how well you can be able to pick it up. And also, you know, if you hold your pulse too long, the pulse change. Sometimes they slip away, sometimes the quality change because you're applying pressure on it. And then the initial feeling of the pulse changes. Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, a very experienced practitioner uses back in the old, old day, even until today, when there is no other diagnostic tools. Yeah. So that's what we use,
1: Pulse. Mm -hmm. So when I come into your office and I sit down in one of your little treatment rooms and I Mm -hmm. take off all my wallet and stuff Mm -hmm. and cell phone and everything and (laughs) sit there and then you come in and you say, oh, Michael, how are you today? And then you sit down in front of me and say, tell me, you know, what what's going on. And then... um, you ask to see my tongue, mm-hmm. right? So you, you look at my tongue, you ask about my bowel movements, you ask about um, anything else that's going on. Then I lie down on your table and, um, actually before I lie down, you do my pulses <coughs> while we're still uh, sitting together. Uh, and then after you've done my pulses, um, because you know I'm curious, sometimes you tell me what's going on. Um, and, uh,
2: sometimes I don't.
1: Sometimes you don't. But I, I,
2: oh, good! <laughs> I'll make you come back next time. But,
1: but just for an example, uh, recently you said to me, um, you know, um, everything else is calming down, but there's something going on in your liver. Mm-hmm. You said, um, "Do you have uh, lead or mercury toxicity?" Mm-hmm. So, what pulse were you listening for? Liver pulse. Liver, liver, liver pulse. Liver pulse.
2: Liver storage, the blood. Uh-huh. That's where all the toxins will store okay. there.
1: And there. So, from lead and mercury. From lead and mercury. Mm-hmm. Whereas for other chemicals, it might be somewhere else? It
2: may be somewhere else. Okay. Yeah. But mostly so,
1: so, how did you learn not only to detect that something was going on in the liver, but that it was actually potentially a lead or a mercury issue?
2: It just came up. It's that intuition okay. that we were talking about. Right. It's that intuitive feeling that it just came up. All right. Yeah.
1: So I'm glad that you were the one that raised the intuitive feeling because we have to be careful in talking about this. But um, you have shared with me, and I have your permission to say, mm-hmm. that uh, when you do uh, someone's pulses and do a diagnostic, that it's almost as if uh, a film of mm-hmm. their past, present, and even future mm-hmm begins to unroll in your mm-hmm. mind. Yes, Yeah.
2: yes, totally.
1: And yes. that's very extraordinary. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah.
2: And I always ask myself and my friends ask me, is that your imagination or is that real? I go, well, why don't we ask the patient then, right? So what I see, you know, um, when I'm f- facing a patient in front of the patient, of course I'm very engaged. And then all of a sudden the image will come up. You know, it's usually sometimes a flash Sometimes a film. Mm-hmm. And then when I work on, on tumors for cancer patients, when my hands are on the site, uh-huh. then the picture really began to roll in. It has nothing to do with the patient's presence. Nothing to do with the color you're wearing, the time of the day, or how I feel. This picture just pops up. Then I go, oh, I get it. That's what's going on.
1: So you have to be very quiet in order for that to happen.
2: Yeah, I'm always very quiet Mm -hmm. inside. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes I say, sometimes I don't say, sometimes I'm allowed to say, sometimes I'm not allowed to say. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm.
1: What fascinates me about this um, is, first of all, that I believe it. And the reason I believe it is that there is, in fact, a long history of intuitive diagnostic abilities. Mm -hmm. And there's a history of... um, the ability to transfer uh, healing energy mm-hmm. to someone
2: else. Long distance, right? Um, mm-hmm.
1: And these two are linked, but they're not the same, right? Mm-hmm. There are some people who have the intuitive diagnostic mm-hmm. ability, but don't have the ability to transmit healing.
2: Some, they, yes, they're, they're different. It depends on the level of practitioner, how gifted they are given. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And uh, so, for example, for those of you who know the history of integrative medicine, the founder of holistic medicine in the United States is often considered to be Edgar Casey, mm-hmm. uh, who was an extraordinary man. I really encourage those of you who are skeptical about these kinds of things to read a good biography of Edgar Casey, because truly, uh, Edgar Casey had the ability to go into a trance and to do extraordinary remote diagnoses, mm-hmm. and then come up with incredibly novel treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and had enormous impact. And really, so, and then ever since then, I mean, I'm sure before then too, because really, we're talking about the shamanic tradition, uh, which it's, as you know, the shamanic tradition is as old as the incest taboo. Mm-hmm. These are the two bases of uh, human being on the planet that uh, there's always been an incest taboo and there have always been shamanic healers in all of the traditions. And many of them had these uh, gifts that we're talking about, which then get translated in different cultures into different forms of medicine, in your case, traditional Chinese. Uh,
2: Actually, Michael, I think everyone in the audience, everyone has that intuitive energy and power to diagnose. Yes. But um, I believe... um, in our text that up to three years old, a child still have that behavior. Uh You know, I had one patient who was 72 years old, suffered from um, lung cancer, she passed away already. And uh, I introduced her to do our Qigong here. Uh So after six months, seven months of Qigong, she was my patient and she said, Erling, I have to tell you something. I said, what, you know? She said, "Um, you know, my power has come back, I said, oh, your power came back. She said, when I was up to until I was 18, 19 years old, I was able to read the newspaper in the next room. You Mm -hmm. put, my parents are reading, I can see exactly what Mm -hmm. they're reading. Mm -hmm. You put a newspaper in my hand or any writing, I'm able to read it. Some people have this special power, maybe you Mm -hmm. do too. Mm -hmm. And when she was um, starting Qigong, then she goes, my power came back. I can see that same thing again Mm -hmm. and again. So I do believe that's, you know, possible. I, I believe that everyone has that ability, yes. but it's not trained or further
1: mm-hmm.
2: nurtured in that sense.
1: I First of all, I agree with you that everyone has extraordinary intuitive powers. Uh, I used to do talks with a friend of mine, Chet Chazuski, on intuition, and he was a master of having reviewed the literature in medicine, business, the military, and mm-hmm. mathematics and the sciences. And the point was that people who were in touch with their intuition had extraordinary gifts mm-hmm. that went beyond what one could ordinarily understand. So, even if the intuition isn't trained, uh, it often seems to me, and it seems to some of my colleagues, Dr. Mark Reneker and others, mm-hmm. um, that... When a person is dealing with a chronic illness, or just dealing with their health, but dealing with cancer and other chronic illness, that paying attention to their intuition, even if it's not trained, mm-hmm. can be a powerful source of information. Totally. Yeah. Totally.
2: Yeah. I also had another cancer patient mm-hmm. who um, was a head of nurse um, in, um, what well, I forgot, one of the state.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And then, um she saw her cancer inside her breast. Yes. Since she was a nurse, head of nurse, she insisted that, you know, they have to do a biopsy, exactly where she said. Mm-hmm. No doctor will agree. They said that no insurance will cover because we didn't see anything on mammogram. Mm-hmm. She said just do it. So the third time they went into biopsy deep enough, they found her cancer. So that's her intuition. She saw that intuition.
1: And you often find in your work, as you've told me, Mm -hmm. that you will be able to say to a patient, Mm -hmm. I sense that this is going, get yourself a CT scan or get Mm -hmm. something and then it shows up. Yes. So, for me, um, finding a really gifted traditional Chinese medicine practitioner, to me, is um, an integral part of, to me, sane cancer treatment. By the way I think of it, you know, the four basics, diet, stress reduction, exercise, and finding love and support make you a healthier person with cancer. That's the start. But then if you want to go beyond those four pillars of health promotion, mm-hmm. which of course interact very deeply with your presentation, then traditional Chinese medicine seems to me to be one of the first places to go. That could be one of the first places yeah. to
2: go. I mm-hmm. always tell, you know, the patient, do whatever you're you know, believes in first, mm-hmm. try it out first, so long it's not too late. You know, you don't want them to dig a well when you're thirsty already, you know. That's why, Michael, you're holding this talk so wonderfully on TCM medicine. Um, then they will know where to gravitate to, you know. Mm-hmm. If their medicine, what they're doing doesn't work, don't wait, you know. Cancer cannot wait. You don't want to wait until You know, I have two weeks, I have three weeks. No, you really cannot wait. You should take action right away. Find the right practitioner and the right medicine that works for you.
1: So let's talk about finding the right practitioner Mm -hmm. because you make a big distinction between the kind of traditional Chinese medicine that Mm -hmm. you practice, and I think you call it modern Modern, Chinese medicine. So from your perspective, which is what we want here, um, the modern Chinese medicine does not confer all of the same benefits.
2: Yes, the traditional Chinese medicine is a mind-body acupuncture, mind-body traditional Chinese medicine. Why do we, they, they always say acupuncture? Acupuncture is not a Chinese medical doctor, because this was back in the 1970s. Uh, um, uh, the uh, American Medical Board say, well, if you call them CMD, Chinese medical doctor, OMD, is very close to MD. Mm. So they put us into the category of acupuncture. So traditional Chinese medical doctor should practice both acupuncture, medicine, mind, and body. On top of that, you know, acupressure, um, meditation, and exercise, and diet, and nutrition. It should be all included in this TCM uh, treatment. The modern Chinese medicine, they skip all that. Okay, you have a pain, okay, let's just treat the pain. They'll go directly to the pain, instead of taking the time to inquire about how the steps that I was talking about, your diet, your med- your meditation, your exercise, how did it become the stagnation? So they just treat the symptom. TCM go to the root. In the Chinese medicine, in the um, internal classic that I was showing on the Huangdi mm-hmm. Neijing, in the internal classic, it divided into two sectors, One is spiritual pivot, Ling Jiu, okay, that talks about the emotion and the spirit, the mind of each disease. So that could tell you that's already very rooted that how your emotion is related to how your disease is. So TCM, traditionally, we treat the patient, not just their disease, but their emotion, their spirit at the same time. Mm -hmm. So that's the differentiation. Instead of being a technician, or really treat the patient to the bottom mm-hmm. and then see how you can support and bring the balance back into that patient.
1: Yeah. You know, I have watched, participated with friends and colleagues as uh, some of my friends, physicians and other health practitioners have experienced uh, an expansion of consciousness over time. Uh, to greater and greater access to intuition um, um, at the level that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I've also experienced it in a more modest way in my own life because I'm not uh, a particularly uh, gifted, intuitive uh, person. You know, I'm useful in the world. I'm sort of tough enough. But that toughness uh, gets in the way of of my sensitivities Mm -hmm. to some of the things that some of my more sensitive colleagues can understand. But, um, but witnessing the development of these skills, for, for in you, they're highly evolved, they're highly developed. And in some of my other colleagues, witnessing the growth of it. And then in my own life, um, I'll just take an example, that I was very agnostic about whether the spirit survives death when I mm-hmm. began this work. But over thirty-five years of 40, 30 years of doing this work, I've had more and more and more experiences that just pragmatically you know was were pointing me in this direction and so what I'm pointing to is that if a listener or someone here in the audience is skeptical about what we're talking about it may have a lot to do with the size of the energetic Mm -hmm. field that they are willing to open themselves Mm -hmm. to. But then, when you're working with an expanding energetic field, this question that you asked about, is this just quote my imagination, Mm -hmm. or am I really connecting with something? Mm -hmm. So how would you advise people who want to connect with their intuition, sort of open themselves up energetically, how can they tell whether what they are experiencing or hearing is likely to be real for them or is simply an imaginative construct.
2: Well, um, what do you think, Michael? I'll start and then you can add on. Okay. I know you do a lot of meditation and then your knowledge is very, very deep. I think, first of all, always stay grounded.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Stay grounded, no matter how chaotic Mm -hmm. your life, your family, your neighbors, yourself is stay grounded all the time, you know. Stay grounded, how do you stay grounded? It's so easy to say, you know, there's a lot of things people can stay grounded, but first time, when you first wake up, start breathing, right? Start watching your breathing, slow down your breathing, okay, slow down your mind, slow down your thoughts, okay. Then that's meditation. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when you are start practicing that, you can start incorporating that all the time. When you're eating, when you're talking, like when we're having a conversation here, it's a meditative form, right? My mind is not racing, my blood pressure is not high. You know, I'm very calm, I'm very peaceful. So are all of you, right? Mm-hmm. You are here and you have to stop thinking about where you're gonna be next. You're gonna be wherever you're gonna be next, for sure. <laughs> But you are here. Are you here? Are you in your mind? Are you in your spirit? Are you in your body? Or are you out there? Your body's here, but your mind is elsewhere. That's not... You cannot find that meditation power, Mm -hmm. that meditation skill that will take you to go, Oh, I get it. This is how I should solve the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an intuition too. It's not an image. Everyone has their own... Intuitive energy, everyone has their own meditation skills and then your practice. You know. But what comes to mind, a lot of times you have to examine, "Oh, that is true. You know what I believe is true, and I will go towards it. So it just comes naturally when you become very gro- mm-hmm. grounded, when your mind becomes very clear, everything starts coming to you. But when you want so much, sometimes it doesn't come. Mm-hmm. Or when you don't believe that you have the skill anymore, when you don't believe in that, then you really will not have that intuitive power because you are already blocking that in your sense.
0: You're listening to a TNS conversation with Dr. Erlene Chang and Michael Lerner.
1: And
2: What do you think, though? What well, do you just feel?
1: following up on what you just said, sometimes when you're working on me, you say to me, now, Michael, stop thinking. Uh, my work can't really work. do it unless, and then you know. So you do the needles and this, that, and the other, and then you you leave me in the room alone for half hour, or whatever. And as you go out the door, you say, now, remember, stop thinking. And so for me, that's quite a, a challenge. You know, that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, one of the things that it's hard for me to stop. Um, what I believe from the Cancer Help Program is that um, you really can tell the difference between imaginative um, uh, play mm-hmm. and true intuition, and that when true intuition comes to you, you tend to know it. There's like when you walk it. in the room, you yeah. go, this room
2: is so peaceful. Yeah. That's intuitive. intuition, exactly. right? Exactly. When you walk into a very unpeaceful yeah. room, it's very unpeaceful. And yeah. you have to trust that. It's right. true, right. right? That's intuition. That's simple. Right. Right. right.
1: Now, we learn best from stories. So I have to ask you about your story and the story of your family, which is quite extraordinary. The starting place for me is that when you were a little girl, you were putting needles in your dolls. Is right. that right? <laughs>
2: yeah. You have to tell them the secret. Huh? <laughs> When I was, that's a true story. When I was five years old, we were living in Taipei Mm -hmm. with my parents. Mm -hmm. So um, doll was like something luxury. Mm -hmm. We were poor. We didn't have no dolls. And my father brought back a doll from uh, United States. It was just a 12-inch doll that you can buy from Kmart not Barbie, don't know what Barbie was. Mm-hmm. So the doll, other people would dress up the doll. As a girl, you dress up doll, you play dolls, right? And me and my neighbor, Afang, and we were always, after school, we would go up, after our kindergarten, we would go up to our room and we would take out the doll, and Afang is always my nurse. Uh-huh. I always order her. <laughs> Hold the doll, I'm gonna give the doll a shot. (laughs) So she was always, she's never the doctor. Mm. I was always the doctor. (laughs) Talk about control, right? So, control. (laughs) So, um, I. I didn't have needles, so I used uh, Uh (laughs) (laughs) thumbtacks. I don't think I used that on you yet, Mm -hmm. but I used acupuncture needles. (laughs) So I used thumbtacks for a year and a half. That's all we played, every day. So I started to, I didn't know I had a love for Chinese medicine already. I thought that was something that everybody played with the doll. We didn't have money, we didn't have, we we know how to fold paper clothes, right? With our colored paper. So I didn't want to play that. doll. was when we put needles on different parts. I mean, I would take it out and reinsert it. That was the funnest <laughs> thing I've done for a year and a half. So I really started practicing at age five. Mm-hmm. So when I, <laughs> my interest in Chinese medicine is I always love, you know, things that are living, inspirational when they are live, when they live. Why cancer then? Why do I specialize in cancer in the past 20 some years? Mm-hmm. Cancer is a new living being inside a body. It's something that transforms, but transforms into something that you and I, we don't recognize. Oh my God, you changed so much, what happened to you? That's that same living thing that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that It changed into something new that's very interesting that I would like to see what's going on. What is the spirit of this new living thing? So my parents, my late father who passed away at age 95, he founded the school with my mother, Master Liu. You know, he was a Chinese practitioner for 60 years. I came from a family of four generations in acupuncture. One of my great uncle was the last emperor's um, acupuncture Chinese medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. So it came down to me. So I think I'm just in my blood. I just wanted to do, you know, mm-hmm. Chinese medicine when I was very, very young. And then when, I, um, when we were young, when we were all required to do um martial art, qigong, and taiji at age like five or six years old. There may be a picture on the wall somewhere where we were doing our martial art practice. That also helped us to be very brave and then to try to stay focused and move beyond what a five, six years old can do. Up to now, I still practice qigong and taiji, and uh, thanks to Master Liu, she really pushes the practice and... uh, my late father, Dr. Chang, who is one of the pioneers in the nineteen seventy-six in Sacramento, who pushed the acupuncture to be legalized with hmm. back then the governor Jerry Brown.
1: So, so when did he come to the United States? In
2: nineteen
1: seventy-two.
2: In seventy-two. Yes by And himself. he came
1: with very little money. With
2: two hundred like twenty-seven dollars yeah. enough to buy a return ticket, uh-huh. a single ticket home.
1: If yeah. it didn't work out. If
2: it didn't work out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when he came here, what did he do? How did he start out?
2: Well, he started out um, practicing. He started out living with his teacher in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then he started practicing Tai Chi with him and teach some classes. Mm-hmm. And then he started at Rockridge Bar Station. Underneath the Rockridge Bar Station, you see there's a plain field. It's still there where people walk their dogs now, where that's like a dog park. Mm-hmm. That's where he started. He started practicing. He started practicing Tai Chi, and gradually people start approaching him back in the 1970s when Bruce Lee hasn't come out with mm-hmm. the martial art Kung Fu yet. Mm-hmm. So, that's how he started from one mm-hmm. to two. You know, this place you're sitting in is the headquarters of Wenwu School. We also have different Wenwu schools throughout the United States. We also have one in Japan, Hawaii, mm-hmm. and Wisconsin, Portland, and uh, yeah, in Iran, and one of our Iranian teachers is here, Sonia. Wonderful. Yes, Wonderful. he's here. Yeah, so this is the headquarters. This is where he started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he and still has that $227 that he never used. He uh, showed it to us. So I said, This is what I'm, this is our, my story. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And when was this uh, center founded?
2: This center was founded back in Albany in 1972. Huh. We've been here since ni- this El Cerrito building in 1985.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. Now you personally from what I understand you work 6 days a week, don't yes. you? Yes, uh-huh. And from quite early to quite late. No.
2: You work how many days a week?
1: Well, you're <laughs> not talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I work no, it's true days. I'm 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 like you in that regard. I, yeah. but I don't know I think maybe the difference is that I don't know you well enough to know this that and maybe it's similar. For me, my work is a form of play, mm-hmm.
0: and me so too.
1: yeah. So it's not stressful, and it's I not work. <laughs> yeah, I'm just doing it because that's what I like to do. You know, it's like breathing or something. So yeah. But nonetheless, you play six days a week. At, I play at, my dolls you know, six you know. <laughs> days a week.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so um, we have about twenty minutes left, and um, before I open it up for some questions, Kira, could we get the uh, Uh, If you have anything written down that you'd like to uh, to give us, you Mm -hmm. can uh, give us that. And obviously, this is only skimming the very surface of such a beautiful and complex universe of work. Um, But um, simply to say that the reason I invited Erlene to come and... um, work in our cancer health program, which is, for me, the the heart of my work for the last 30, 31 years, I really thought that that what you do could be of extraordinary benefit and that I wanted to see it close up. Mm -hmm. And I also want to learn Qigong myself, um, you know, and uh, so I will have the double benefit of being able to participate in your Qigong classes Mm -hmm. and see how it helps others. I guess one other question I would have is um, when we was were watching Master Liu do the presentation, it did look complicated. Um, and I wanted to ask, how much benefit is there for somebody who may find it challenging to do everything that Master Liu and her colleague were doing, mm-hmm. but in simple form, how much benefit is something that's quite approachable. Um, yes, that's a good question. Yeah. Yes.
2: This form of Da Qigong is has 64 movements. What you just saw, it's only the first set. We have second set, we have Pai Da Gong, we have other Da palms that we haven't even showed you yet. So that's a good question, it seems very complicated. But remember, she's 86, she can still do it, right? And then also, In the 64 movement, in the very last seven movement, then each movement becomes another seven movement. So you're actually making it more complicated. We're talking about almost 100 movement that how is people gonna master? Each movement actually itself is based on the traditional Chinese medicine. You know, just as the first movement when Master Liu was showing the opening Can you imagine? That seems like a very simple movement. But think about it. Your both feet are grounded on the floor. Your feet are stepping on the yin and the yang part of the world. Your qi and the blood has already circulated because your mind intentionally tells yourself, I'm going to start practicing. I'm going to stay calm. First of all, all the nervous system has already calmed down. Your blood pressure has already decreased. Your mind intentionally knows what you wanted to do. Then as you open the form, your whole body starts stretching. Your back, your spinal cord, your peripheral nerve system, your central nervous system are being re-stretched in a very soft and gentle way. And as you extend your arm, Master Liu talked about this big field of Qi is a universe that you are holding like a ball that the qi began to tingling even that is just one movement itself it's enough to balance and you also saw where rich was helping to doing slapping where the toxin the qi was coming out through the hands even just seven movements is enough to balance the liver kidney pericardium heart and all your internal organs, because it's that balance. It's the balance and harmony, as I was saying in zheng qi. What is zheng qi? Do you have your zheng today? You know, it's simply just that immune system we're talking about. You know, I, like I said, each organ has its own immune system. Each organ has its own zheng qi. Okay. It's that zheng qi, that balance we have over the times of balance and we need to bring that back. So that's how the movement can be helpful. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
1: We, we promised to say something about grief, which we haven't mm-hmm. spoken about. So one of, the, one of the questions we have is, can you speak about grief? It is new territory for me. Mm-hmm. So how do you work with grief? Mm-hmm. First,
2: accept you know, what's causing the grievingness. You know, really accept, you know, and don't deny it. You know, understand the cause, then you will know what's causing the grieving, and then if you understand the cause, you still cannot come out of the grieving. Then ask for help. One of the thing is grieving is also a stagnation.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In grieving, in Chinese medicine, it belongs to the lung meridian. Yeah. Lung and large intestine dominates the emotion. It's grieving, uh-huh. so. Work on singing, for instance, work on walking, deep breathing, that will all help to open up the lung. When the lung, the cells inside, everything began to stretch open slowly in a very, very gentle way, then the blood, new blood start coming in. The new blood, because you're trying to get rid of grief, grieving, the new blood doesn't carry that grieving aspect. The new blood comes with more oxygen, the more intention of joy. Yeah. So I would say first I would think accept and understand what's causing the grieving.
1: That's then really deal interesting. deal with it. Yeah. And we could talk about that for a long time because mm-hmm. my colleague Francis Weller, mm-hmm. who teaches in the Cancer Health Program and has written a really beautiful book on grief, um, he sees grief as a kind of an apprenticeship, a rough initiation mm-hmm. into a new phase of life. Mm-hmm. And so the tension that would be interesting to explore at some point would be the tension between seeing grief as stagnation and seeing grief as a a growth process that leads to higher consciousness. In other words, when Carl Jung says that consciousness only expands uh, at the the expense of suffering, that -hmm. that suffering, it is only through suffering. And Mm -hmm. Patanjali's Yoga Sutra says the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the tension between seeing grief as stagnation and seeing grief as um, part of a painful process that is necessary for the growth of consciousness mm-hmm. is interesting. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: I think that's very, very true. But you when you are in deep grieving, it's hard to come out. Yes. Right? Right. So I want you to stop before it goes to too deep. I in see. grieving. Start asking for help. Yeah. yeah. Don't that's, wait until you're too deep yeah. in grieving. You'll take too much work to right. reverse that.
1: Yeah. And several people asked if you would address the role of meditation. Mm-hmm.
2: Do you want to address no, please, that? <laughs> please. Address the role of meditation.
1: In in healing with cancer.
2: Yes. Very good question. Yeah. You know. And um, one of the things I wanted to add in here is every cancer cell, every tumor, it has spirits to itself. You have a spirit, the tumor and has spirit too. And they communicate with you, talk with you, fight with you all the time. You know, you fight with it all the time. And you just don't know about it. You know, it has eyes, it has feelings, just like you and I. So the role of meditation, meditation, like I said, you have to learn to be grounded. Learn to be very quiet, very clear. Only when you are very clear, very calm, where you can hear a pin drop in your heart not in the room, but in your heart, then you're at the calming stage. But how much can you reach that? How many seconds can you hold that thought, right? Maybe five seconds, maybe a minute, then you bring yourself back, then you lost that quiet need of calmness, okay? And then in the role of meditation, when youth become very quiet, you will hear the energy that's talking to you. Your spirit, the other spirit will come out and talk to you. You will go, why am I so angry? Why all of a sudden I'm so sad? You know, that may not be you, that could be the tumor that's still talking to you. That's where the emotion was holding, like grieving in the lungs, lung cancer, right? Kidney is fear, that fearfulness, all of a sudden, it will come out, enormous amount that you have no idea where it came from. That's a role of medicine. But are you afraid? I and mean, you go, am I out of my mind? Should you be afraid to deal with that? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you do have this disease, you know, face the disease. Use a positive attitude. Now you understand. I told you the tumor cell itself has a spirit to itself, just like yourself. It has eyes, it has feeling, it has everything that you experience. It also has that same, it also wanted to grow. Just like us, we wanted to grow, right? It also wanted to grow. So that's the role of meditation. You can communicate, make deals, So what is calm it down.
1: What is, I mean, first of all, this is beautiful and fascinating, but in the communication that you can have with your tumor, mm-hmm. what should your intention be about its independent feelings and uh, hope to grow? How, how would you best relate to its independent thoughts, feelings, intentions? Very good question. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. OK.
2: But I could tell you, you have to look at what happened that caused you the cancer, which stagnation that happened. Mm-hmm. What stagnated caused you this? Maybe it's an emotion, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's your environment. First, differentiate that. Mm-hmm. Then, from that, differentiate into a new metabolic change, which is a tumor or cyst that happened. Mm-hmm. So, you have to go, still go to the root of the problem to mm-hmm. treat the root of the problem of yourself. Mm-hmm. Not others, but yourself. Then, when you found the root of the problem, this new problem, this new spirit will also... <sighs> Be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's the imbalance that created another imbalance. So cre- go back to the first imbalance
1: mm-hmm.
2: that caused the problem. And then as you meditate and as you go over and over again. Mm-hmm. Meditation is not hard, but not easy to stay still mm-hmm. because our monkey mind are too monkey sometimes, you know. Mm-hmm. In the, if it's too not, cannot calm, then you stay Try to bring your back, mm-hmm. okay? So when that emotion or that second mm-hmm. image or third image keep on flushing in, mm-hmm. start facing it. That's your intuition. Mm-hmm. What is it? Why does this image, why does this feeling keep on coming in? What is it that it's bothering me? Mm-hmm. So that's row up meditation. If you don't meditate, you know, or if you're already a meditative person, that intuition comes in, that image comes in too, that feeling comes in too. Okay. But I would recommend everybody to try to meditate, try to stay as peaceful as you can. You know, not that easy, but not that hard either, right? And then every day just put a little bit time, put a little bit time. And when you are at that anxiety moment, at that fearful moment, When you're being diagnosed or when bad news comes in, Mm -hmm. you have that meditation power to calm it down Mm -hmm. at that moment, instead Mm -hmm. of taking a lot of Ativan or medication to quite slow down your Mm -hmm. mind, because you're already trained your mind to do that.
1: Two things I haven't asked you. We've talked about traditional, we've talked about acupuncture and and, uh, pulse diagnosis and so forth, we haven't talked about whether or not you use uh, traditional Chinese medical herbs much in your practice. Yes, we do. You do?
2: Yes, we do. Uh-huh. Yeah, tr- tr- like I said, TCM includes acupuncture and herbal medicine. Right. Back in the days when right. there was no chemical, right. you know, in the medicine. Right. Yes, we do, okay. we do. And the, I wanted to, And um, we talked about this earlier, when do you use herbs? You know, when do you not use earth? There's thousands of supplements, vitamins, you know, all methods of treatment. Depending on what stage the patient and what the patient is Mm -hmm. coming in for, is it for prevention? They're already in remission, so you wanted to prevent? Or is it because of a family history, so you wanted to prevent this from happening? Or the patient has already been first diagnosed, hasn't become cancer yet? So depending on where? where the patient is. Mm-hmm. Then we will you know, administer different type of um, herbs. Of course, herbs um, have a lot of controversial um, argument. Mm-hmm. Oh, not organic, too much metal, toxin. We don't know where it's come from. Mm-hmm. There's no scientific done on it. You know? And many of my patients, they come ask me that, how do you know this, this herb is safe for me? First of all, you will find you know, a very unvalued herbal company that have been practiced for a long time, who hopefully have organic herbs or approved in their origin of their country, and then look at the herbal prescription. if my late father always say, if the prescription has less than 12 herbs, then that's a good formula. Mm. And then um, have the patient start with very low dosage, not a huge amount of dosage. Especially when patients who are already going through chemotherapy or have had chemo or radiation, I believe their constitution, their DNA sort of changed and they're not going to come back until another five, six years later. In that five years, be very careful how do you formulate the prescription. Who do you find to help you to start nurturing and then keep that balancing Mm -hmm. Um, yin and yang or qi and the blood back in the balance because the body already tipped off to one end. Now we're slowly building it up. That's what a very good practitioner should do. That's the traditional TCM.
1: So how can uh, a patient a family living somewhere else uh, find the kind of traditional Chinese medicine practitioner that you would want people to be able to find? How can they do that?
2: Well, um, that's also a very, very good question. Um, first, by, of course, by referrals, yeah. right? And then also look at the background. And then when it becomes number one, number two, to toxin, this patient has already gone through five to 10 years. So you have to look at this practitioner, him or herself, if they have practiced long enough to understand what's causing the stagnation and what's causing it to become toxic. A lot of um, my colleagues i have seen their formula, their herbal formula. And I have friends at UCSF who show me a bag, a pharma- pharmacist show me a bag and say, what herbs are this? My patients are taking these Chinese herbs mm-hmm. and he died of um, cancer, and um, liver failure. The patient come in for um, cancer treatment, died because mm-hmm. they take the herbs, right? Mm-hmm. So very, very good question i look at some of my colleague formula i said oh my god this person really doesn't know what they're doing Mm -hmm. i would say stop doing that so i get a few patients they come for a second opinion because what they're doing doesn't work Mm -hmm. (laughs) so look at from referral look at the practitioner's background if they specialize in this Mm -hmm. in you know like if you wanted to eat Italian food, you wouldn't go to a Chinese restaurant, right? You would go to an Italian restaurant, right? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't expect spaghetti in a Chinese yeah. restaurant. So that's what, you know, if you wanted to eat Mandarin Peking duck, you wouldn't go to a Cantonese dim sum restaurant to eat Peking duck. You would go to those specific area. Mm-hmm. That's how you will find mm-hmm. someone.
1: Say a little bit about your work with low-income families through... What is the name of the foundation? Oh,
2: thank you so much for asking. Thank you so much. Um, It's the Fountain... It's the Fountain Project Foundation. Yeah, tell Um, us about that. Yes. Um, This morning, I was at the Bay Area Rescue Mission at 8.15 a.m. in the men's shelter. Hmm. We're doing a large-scale volunteer work, consists of many Western doctors. Mm Um acupuncturists, massage therapists, chiropractors, where we will be doing a large scale of volunteer work hmm. for all the men and women in the shelter. Hmm. And this specific shelter I work with, and I hope you all have a chance to work with the local shelter that you fall in love with, um, has 400 beds, they're always full, okay. The people we work with are in a program inside the shelter The program, they can live up to one year to three years. In the program, they learn about anger management, how to open a bank account, how to eat well, how to exercise. They take them out to exercise every day. We have a pilot program where we start teaching qigong and tai chi, where Bradley is one of our teacher, and we teach qigong and tai chi and meditation to them. Okay, so I believe this is the first shelter that we Fountain Project has incorporated this alternative idea of softening their crushed mind back to their life again. Every story in the shelter, I don't know if you ever enter into a shelter. Each shelter has, for instance, a big building. Each room is one story, one sad story inside. You could have a room with one mom with five children in bunk beds. And next to it, you could have a drug addict who's just getting off the program, who screams at nighttime. You could have another room where the abusive mom, abusive, abusive wife who lives there by themselves. So in this world, you think your world is stressful. Think about you live there for a week. Can you survive? You know, we're so fortunate to be able to sit here, have a good workshop, a good talk. We're so fortunate to meet each other these are the people a lot of time you want to stay away from. But they're very kind, very kind people. When I was there this morning, you know, I was there doing registration. Every patient has to be pre-registered to be seen. You know, we tell them, you know, this is all free services. We have a lot of sponsors that sponsor us to do this program. I mean, our doctor, nobody's paid to do this. So go to what your heart can work with. If you like to join the founding Project as a volunteer, we can always use you. I mean, I always tell people, how often do you work directly, one-on-one, with a resident in the shelter? How lucky of you to get to work with it. From them, I see how lucky I am, how healthy I am, that I learned so much from their story that touches my heart. So hopefully you find someone that touches you, that you can pour your life over it. That's why I wasn't able to come until later today. <laughs> yes.
1: I don't know if all, all of you can feel it, but I'm able to feel in some sense what happens to the energy in the room when we're listening to someone with gifts like this. And, um, and I was reflecting on uh, Master Liu and her husband and their journey to the United States and all that you did to create this work, and then you passed it on to Erlene as the fourth generation of your work. And Master Liu, I just want to honor you for your tremendous contribution and for giving us this beautiful soul who is continuing your work and your husband's work so beautifully. It's, it's a true honor to be here with you. And Dr. Erlene Chang, a great honor to be with you. And... Thank you all for coming, and uh, if you want to hear more about our collection of uh, audio and video podcasts, Kira Epstein is the coordinator of the New School. She's at the back of the room, and our website is commonweal.org, or if you want to go directly to the New School website, it's www.tns, for the new school, and we have about 200 podcasts and videos. Ken Adams is our uh, sound and video uh, technician and has worked with us for many years. So, uh, And you will find uh, 20 or 30 conversations like this about cancer, including conversations with uh, Dr. Mark Reniker, Dr. Dwight McKee, Dr. Keith Block, uh, many of the leading uh, practitioners of integrative cancer care. So it's a great Great honor for me, Master Liu, and Dr. Erlene Chang to have been with you this morning. Thank you so much.
0: You've been listening to a TNS conversation with Dr. Erlene Chang and Michael Lerner. Thank you for listening to TNS, the new school at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio producer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Ciani. Visit us online at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, and Vimeo. Thanks for listening.